Thank you, Dan and instrumentalists and choir for beautiful worship today. We continue our series from Samuel. We're in 2 Samuel. First turn to chapter 13, 2 Samuel chapter 13. We'll be looking at 13 and 14 today. So you want to get revenge on your rival, do you? He wronged you, she wronged you, humiliated you, hurt you, abandoned you, belittled you, used you. All you need to do is visit mastersofrevenge.com. Now, there's some inappropriate things on that website. They, they may get 2,000 hits this afternoon, but mastersofrevenge.com. The headline of the website goes this way, get revenge on someone you hate, make the world a better place. If you sign up for their regular email, you'll be informed by their newsletter of all the best ways to even the score. They can help you with your revenge. Oh, they've got a host of ways to help you at Masters of Revenge. Well, first of all, there's the anonymous text message. You type out the text, you send it to them. They send it from a phone from another country which cannot be traced or stopped. They never cooperate with the police, they claim, and your hateful words popping up on your enemy's phone, unblockable, untraceable. They might have blocked your number, but not this number from a third world country. Or, if that's not enough, pay a little bit more. You can sign up your nemesis for nuisance phone calls. Now, who in here signed me up for that? Because I'm sure getting them. <laughs> They will annoy you any time of day or night with constant, unrelenting, infuriating nuisance phone calls. They'll even record your enemy's response and send it to you. Or, want to pay it, spend a little more, $23.07. They will send a nasty surprise gift to your enemy. Embarrassing envelopes, humiliating parcels, Get any better than this? Downright scandalous letters. You can totally crush your enemy. Of course, uh, packages are shipped anonymously. Your name's not on them. They arrive by international airmail to your victim. And every package they proclaim is as legally offensive as possible. As legally offensive as possible. Well, Put another way, you can't buy a worse gift than these. For example, they'll send your wrongdoer a package labeled discreet home supplies, STD test kit, urgent, right there in the mailbox. If you have some really big bucks, I mean, you really, really need to even the score for $315, they will create a bespoke, a custom website for the purpose of humiliating and crushing your enemy. They'll use a secure, offshore, untraceable location while you can reveal and expose the most personal details about your enemy. And there is nothing the website claims that anyone can do about it. The website cannot and will not be shut down. You send the information, the photographs, the details, 
and in 10 days they will both launch and promote the website against your enemy. They claim they could even make a camera lie. You send a picture of your ex or your enemy and they will make They will make him or her do absolutely anything you want him or her to do. That will cost you $48 for that kind of revenge. You really want to rattle her cage? You send a CD and it simply says, listen to me. Unmarked and when they pop in, of course, they're going to listen. Their curiosity will get the best of them. They pop it in and they hear a voice that they have never heard before telling them all the things that they wish they had forgotten, all the things they don't want anybody to know. An anonymous, unmarked, untraceable overseas address. They play it and hear everything they've dreaded. Just remember, the website claims When we get revenge for you, everything is anonymous, untraceable, and completely legal. Mastersofrevenge.com. Is revenge really the sweetest joy? You remember the story of Absalom. One of David's sons had a beautiful full sister named Tamar. But Amnon, the half-brother of Tamar began to lust after his own half-sister. He pretended to be sick, and Amnon calls his half-sister Tamar to come and be his nursemaid, his caretaker through his sickness. He asks the king himself if Tamar can come and fix his food, and David orders his daughter Tamar to go and prepare Amnon's food to cook for him. And Amnon forces himself upon Tamar, and Tamar begs him and says, this will be a disgrace for me, a disgrace for you, a disgrace for our family. Do not do this thing. But he does anyway. Absalom, her full brother, hears how his sister has been treated. Look at 2 Samuel 13, 22. Absalom did not speak to Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon, his brother, because he had violated his sister, Tamar. Absalom was able to hold the grudge for two years. Two years of humiliation for Tamar. Two years of anger for King David and his son. Two years of brooding vengeance in the heart of Absalom. Justice, Amnon discovered, need not be swift. It must just be sure. Dr. Isaiah Hankel, I have no idea what kind of doctor he is. I hope he's not a counselor. He advises those seeking revenge to wait for the right opportunity. When you immediately retaliate against someone, you add energy to the situation, you strengthen their resolve against you, and you expose your position. If you will just wait and let your anger and vengeance marinate for a while and wait for the right opportunity, then out of the blue, a long time later, you strike your enemy. Well, Absalom had never read Dr. Hankel's advice on getting revenge, but nonetheless, he waited, and he waited, and he waited, and he waited. 
He waited for the right moment. Absalom comes up with the idea, goes to his father, King David, and says, hey, let's go to the sheep shearing together. Let's everybody go and inspect the property and the production of what's taking place there on the ranch. David says, no, David won't go. The king doesn't have time for sheep shearing. Just let him know how many bushels you got. But Amnon decides he will take the trip with Absalom. The journey is arranged. And after two years of resentful brooding and careful planning, Absalom sees his chance. He instructs his servants, servants who are deeply loyal and willing to strike at any time, when he is merry with wine, when I give you the signal, you go against Amnon, Absalom says, and you kill him. Amnon gets married with wine at the sheep shearing. He sig Absalom signals his men. They jump on Amnon and they murder him. All of David's other sons flee. They don't know what kind of coup this is. They're all possible, possibly part of the dynasty. And they all flee as well for fear of a bloodbath. Royal News 1330, look there, it travels fast, but it often travels distorted. The speedy and accurate report reaches David quickly. Absalom has killed everyone, not just Amnon, but all your boys are dead, David. David believes in news, and David is beside himself. He knew his family was in trouble. Nathan had told him in our last week's sermon that the sword would never leave his house, but he had no idea how wide the swath would be that all of his dynasty would die. Finally, verse 32, Jonadab reassures David that Absalom has no cause to kill any of his brothers, that he only killed Amnon because of Amnon's mistreatment of Tamar. It's over. Only Amnon is dead, David. It's not all your boys. Sometimes it's best to get out of town. After getting revenge for his sister Tamar, verse 34, now Absalom had fled. Verse 37 says it again. Now Absalom fled. Verse 38, you getting the message? Absalom fled. He fled, he fled, he fled. He struck and then he ran against his brother Amnon. He's gone for three years. He's gone. Three years is a long time, and David is without Amnon because Amnon is dead. And now David is without Absalom, another son, because Absalom is afraid of his father. The narrator gives us a hint. Look at verse 39. Now the heart of King David longed to go out to Absalom, for he is comforted concerning Amnon since he was dead. David's no longer really seeking revenge. His heart has softened. He misses his son Absalom, and he longs for him. 
Three years pass. If you write in your Bible at the end of chapter 13, before the beginning of chapter 14, write three years pass. Three years between one chapter and the next. Three years have passed by. Joab notices that David is sad. He goes to the Koa and he gets a woman who's an actress. And the actress invites David into her own theater to allow David to see things from a different point of view. She could have worn, won an Academy Award. She walks up to the king, who is still the ultimate judge of the land, and she's crying. She's disheveled. She looks like she's been in mourning for some time, and she pleads for the king, David, to hear her case. And David says, he will. I'm a widow. I don't have any husband to take care of me. And I had two boys. And my two sons were out in the field, and there was a scuffle between, you know how boys will be. There was a scuffle in the field between the boys, and it got carried away. And the next thing you know, there was no one to separate them. And one son murdered my other son. And now my family, now my family wants me to turn over the boy who is a murderer and I guess that's what the law says, that he ought to be turned in since he committed murder. But if I lose him, I've lost the only coal that I have left burning. I will have lost everything if I lose him. I've already lost the one. And then my husband, oh, bless my husband, he will have no one to carry on his name. Then both boys will be dead. Would it be better, king, if both boys are dead? Tell me how that's better for a widow like me. Well, David says, let me think about it. I'll get back to you. Oh, no, you can't think about it, the lady says. They, they want my boy right now. You need to do something right now. And for a moment, for a moment, David stops thinking like a judge and a jury. And he thinks like a father. And so David says, don't you worry. If anyone tries to give you a hard time, they will have to answer to me. And in fact, not one hair of your boy's head will be touched. Look at chapter 14, verse 11. Then she said, please let the king remember the Lord your God so the avenger of blood may not continue to destroy lest they destroy my son. And he said, as the Lord lives, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. It took David a moment. David's a fierce man. David is a warrior who's always seeking justice. He's a hard man. That's his nature as king. He would knowingly compromise vengeance. But David, for that moment, thinks with the father's heart, and he sees a woman who's lost one boy, now about to lose the next. And so he's feeling 
for Absalom, isn't he? He has lost Amnon, and now he's lost Absalom. Now, if I were David by this time in 2 Samuel, I wouldn't want anybody to tell me any stories. Because every time they tell poor David a story, it's about him and not not about them. If I was David, the next guy that came along with a story, I'd say, I don't want to hear it. I don't hear a thing you have to say. David has that aha moment when he realizes this isn't about this woman. She's an actress. This is about me. It's about my boys. It's about Amnon who's dead. It's about Absalom who killed him. And will I get vengeance on Absalom over Amnon or will I welcome the boy home? Is Joab behind this? David asks. Of course, Joab is always behind everything. Yes, he is. Look at verse 21. The king said to Joab, Behold, now I will surely do this thing. Go, therefore, and bring back the young man Absalom. You see, David was in a corner. He couldn't very well say in this case for this woman that the boy ought to be welcomed home, but when it's About him, the boy should stay banished. He couldn't do that. In reality, it's hard to forgive and forget, isn't it? It's hard to really want to move on. In fact, Absalom comes home, yet he still does not see his father, David, He welcomes Absalom, bring the boy home, but don't let me see his face. Welcome to Jerusalem, but I don't want you at the table, is the message. In verse 28, he has lived in Jerusalem for two years. He does not see the king's face. He calls Joab. Joab doesn't return his phone calls. He texts Joab. Joab doesn't return his text. He emails Joab every way he can. Joab won't respond And so Absalom sets Joab's crops on fire, and Joab comes running, and he says, why did you set my crop on fire? And he says, well, I sent the text, the phone call, and the email, and you didn't respond. I knew this would get you here. I might as well have stayed in Geshur because I've been here two years. It doesn't feel like I've come home. I have not even laid eyes on the face of my father. Joab goes to David and explains. Look at verse 33. When Joab came to the king and told him, he called for Absalom, and thus he came to the king and prostrated himself on his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. Mm, Let me translate that for you. The father kissed Absalom. His son. The father kissed his son and welcomed the boy home. For that moment, all was forgiven, all was good, and all was well. Last week, I conducted the funeral for my friend, Arvis Stewart. His handiwork is all around our campus. It's the 
big round stained glass in the rotunda. It's a stained glass in this stairwell. It's a picture here. It's a chandelier in the back. It's everywhere. Some of the families here this morning. And even I asked his daughter Holly what she remembered about her father, and she says, I remember that he would never, ever argue with me. Oh, she said, I can remember early in life that he had steam coming out of his ears and his face would get red, but he didn't want to be that person. And so later in life, he wouldn't argue. He was transformed to be a man filled with the Spirit of God. And she said, I would even give him my side and I would argue hard and no response. Even wrote a letter setting him straight, setting her father straight. The letter came back was about the joy of her birth, the joy of her riding a bicycle and how she was one of the apples of his eye. How do you go from the guy who has steam coming out of his ears to the guy who turns the other cheek? In Galatians 5, Paul says, if someone is really indwelt by the Spirit of God, this is who they are. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. What Paul is saying to the believers in Galatia is this. As you are changed by the indwelling Spirit of Christ, this is what you'll look like. You'll be full of joy. You'll be full of peace. You'll be full of patience. You won't blow off the handle in anger because you will have through the Spirit self-control. He says the old life is the life of the flesh, Galatians 5.20. What does that look like? Enmities and strife and jealousy and outbursts of anger and disputes and dissensions and factions. It's amazing when you look at the work of the flesh that so much of it has to do with anger and revenge and attitude. You can start there. But as you yield your life to Christ, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. How about this word for a man? Gentleness, self-control. Arvis had been one. He became the other, the transforming power of the Spirit of God. Who is it in your life that needs to come home, either actually or mentally? Someone banished far away. And, and where do you find yourself in the story today? Which character do you play? Are you absent this morning, eating away with revenge for two years, planning and plotting to make it all right? Are you looking for the opportunity to strike, to even the score? 
Are you, Ab- are you Absalom looking for revenge? Are you David confused by the anger amongst your children and wondering whom you will welcome home? The cross of Christ Jesus calls us to forgiveness. The principle of the gospel is this. God has forgiven you. So you must forgive others. They didn't ask for it, Pastor. Nobody asked. Nobody repented. When Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Who had repented at that point? Had Pilate said he was sorry? No. Had the no good disciples who had run away, had they said they were sorry for what they had done? No. Had the Romans apologized for the crucifixion of the Lord? No. Had the soldiers asked Jesus to forgive them? Not one person had repented. Not one person had asked to be pardoned. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. And our forgiveness makes repentance possible. Maybe it's not repentance that yields forgiveness. Maybe it's forgiveness that yields repentance. Let us pray. Oh God, there's some sons and daughters who need to be welcomed home. There are some enemies and ex-friends and ex-spouses that need to be forgiven. There are some hatchets that need to be buried, and there is some grace that needs to be spilt. Because we are the people indwelt by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of love, joy, peace, gentleness, and self-control. Father, I pray for our relationships in this room and and those watching by way of television. May we bathe our relationships in the grace of the gospel of a crucified and resurrected Jesus. And in his name we pray, amen.